You're listening to a sermon from Covenant Church. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Hey, if you'd like to follow along, you can turn to page 874 in the Bibles underneath the chairs. Uh, if it's not page 874, I found out there are some Bibles that are page different. You can just take that Bible home, give it away to somebody, and then we'll buy it and replace it, and I'll be on the same page, which will be good. Literally, we'll be on the same page. I think it's helpful to have, like, be looking at the text, and I want to help you find your way around the Bible if you're new to this, and wherever you're at, if you're new to faith, you're exploring faith, or if you've been a Christian a long time. So we've been doing a series called Meals with Jesus, going through the Gospel of Luke, traveling through the Gospel of Luke to Easter, and meals are a theme. Jesus is doing something very specific. Luke highlights this. Jesus demonstrates the welcome of the Gospel through meals. There's also a warning of the Gospel. Like Jesus will tell a parable, hey, that. The kingdom of God is like this feast, and some people made excuses and didn't want to go. There's a warning not to miss out. There's actually healthy FOMO, fear of missing out. Don't say no to this invitation, but consider the invitation of the gospel. Jesus told a parable about a meal at a meal last week, and again this week, Jesus tells a parable about a meal. And we're going to look at five pictures, five pictures this parable gives us. Start together, Luke 15, starting with verse 11, a parable from Jesus. And a parable is simply a story with spiritual lessons in it. Here we go. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The first picture is a picture of sin. This is a picture of sin and the effects of sin. It's basically the nature of sin and the effect of sin. What sin does to you? Here's the nature of sin. Here's the thing. We tend to think of sin as like, okay, it's an arbitrary violation of a rule of some kind. The speed limit's 35. Officer, I was going 37. Come on. Okay? We think of it as an arbitrary violation of a rule. And what we see here, the picture that Jesus gives us, the nature of sin is that it's relational. Jesus depicts a forsaken father. It's not merely uh, rejecting a law or breaking a law. It's forsaking a father. It's rejecting a father. Think of what this father has done. You don't have to be a Bible expert to know it would be a big deal. Imagine saying this to your parents. Hey, I'm going to probably inherit some stuff from you when you die. How about give me that now, and I'm going to break off relationship with you. Imagine how sad 
how hurtful that would be. And this father actually has to, his wealth is in property. He has to make the property liquid. This is a public thing. This is the son saying, I want a way, I want uh, to forsake you, father, and I'm going to forsake uh, this people, this community, and your God. The son wants to get as far away from the God of Israel as he can. He's like, promised land? No, thank you. I'm actually going to travel away to a different place. When's the last time you actually, in, in awaking to one of your sins, like, oh, I did that, we realize our sin at its heart is a rejection of God. A forsaken father. We also see the effects of sin. Okay, so that's the nature of sin. Here's the effects of sin. What does sin do? Well, there's alienation, there's breaking of relationship, there's distance created both literally and figuratively here. The son's like, I want as far away from you as I can. I'm going to do what I want. The word for reckless living, he's basically saying yes to every desire he has. Like, hey, if it's in me and I want to do it, he's, his philosophy of life at this point, I'm going to say yes to that. And the effect of sin is both alienation and degradation. He's become less. He's degraded, right? He, you know, again, you don't have to be a Bible expert to know that uh, Israelites shouldn't be hanging out with pigs. That's become his job, okay? He didn't do Sue Ortsman's Guide to Retirement. He squandered everything. He didn't do Financial Peace University He's like spent it all. He's not just really like sinful. He's unwise. He's foolish. It went down the drain. There's a famine, and now he has this terrible job. And he's dirtied in the fields. His job is to feed the pigs. And this is the effect of sin, and we feel it. It's, a, it's actually a universal healthy experience to experience guilt. Like when you realize, oh, I said that. I should not have said that that way. That lustful look, that greed, that desire to get back to make someone pay, and indulging those desires, feeling guilty afterwards, is a universal experience. The only people that don't feel that are terrifying. They're sociopaths. People that can hurt others and not, but without a qualm, are terrifying. Any kind of spiritual hardening is terrifying. Sin alienates, it degrades, it hardens. That's a picture of sin. And then this happens. But when he came to himself, he has a wake-up moment. Comes to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Here, the younger son, he comes to himself. He wakes up. He basically wakes up at rock bottom. He's like, can it get worse than this? How did I get? to this place. He's lost himself in a way. And now he, it's interesting language, isn't it? He comes to himself. How did I get here? Here I am. I want to eat pig's food. 
I could be a servant again. But this is the picture of repentance we're given. He acknowledges I've sinned in two ways, against heaven and before my father. Against heaven, that's a respectful, ancient Israeli, uh, Israelite way to say against God. Sin has this God-word dimension. When you sin against another human being, you're s- sinning against a creature that is a small picture of God. In a way that a tree is not, it's worse to sin against a human being. People are made in the image of God. We image God. And he's like, God, I've sinned against you. He knows he's rejected God, forsaken God, left God, fled from God, said no to God, violated God's laws. And he also acknowledges the horizontal. Like before my father, I rejected my father. I took his stuff, shamed him before his community, left him. So he has this wake-up moment. He acknowledges what he did, and he, and he says something that's very interesting. I'm no longer worried to be called the son. Look, ancient hearers of this parable, they would be like, they're not rooting for this kid. Okay, What he's done is awful. Everyone's like, the, the original hearers would be like, yeah, he doesn't deserve to be a son. That was awful. He rejected his whole community, shamed his loving father. That's the picture of sin. And there's something for us there. When we begin to truly repent, when we realize sin is before God and not just feeling bad about stuff that gets us in trouble. There's a difference between feeling bad because you got in trouble or because it's cost you and feeling bad like, God, this is actually forsaking you. This is saying no to you. This, is, this was a rejection of you and your ways, your goodness, your love. That's a picture of repentance. And then this happens. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now think of the the picture that Jesus paints for us. The son is a speck. He's still a long way off. He's a speck in the distance. And when the father recognizes him, Jesus gives a lot of details in the sentence. The father felt compassion, ran, and embraced him and kissed him. It was a big deal for fathers to run. Okay? Fathers, you get, especially in the ancient world, think long robes, think of a beard, think of like this patriarch, this noble man is so overwhelmed, he just forgets himself. Uh, fathers, you get to a certain age and you don't look good anymore when you run. I uh, was going to pick up my daughter at elementary school one time and I thought I was late, so I was like jog- jogging up. My daughter just like brought me in the loop. She's like, hey, dad, uh, that looks so awful when you run. 
never run anywhere near my school just to make it like a three mile loop around it never jog there never at all don't ever do that again you know you were jogging out the window please no never do that the picture jesus gives us this father is so filled with compassion he forgets himself he runs down the road embraced him and kissed him is this before or after the son's speech it's before son hasn't even said anything yet son launches in the speech he's been rehearsing on the way home father i've sinned against heaven i've sinned against you and what's the father start doing he's already been hugged he's already been kissed the father first says bring the best robe put it on him what is it what did that mean why why was that like where the father went okay we just think this through who owns the best robe the father Who's going to inherit the best robe? A son. So what's the father saying? The father says, you're going to wear something that actually reminds you you're a son. You're not a servant. You're a son. Even uh, there's different scholars that have wondered about the ring might be like a family ring, a signet ring that only, uh, only a family member would have Servants will go barefoot. Sons and daughters would have shoes. She put shoes on his feet. He gives him signs of sonship, you know, a hug and a kiss, and then the fattened calf. Kill the fattened calf and ki- kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, this is a picture of the Father's joy in giving gospel grace. The Father's joy. That his, that his son who was lost is now back to him. It's a picture of the father's joy. We don't get anything, there's like no signal that the father's begrudging. Well, I guess if, you're, if you really feel bad about it and you promised that this will never happen, you know, are you going to work off the debt that you owed? Probably wasn't possible. The father has joy in giving gospel grace. And it's a picture of grace, love, a picture of homecoming. Uh, They kill the fattened calf, something we had missed. Look, there's not refrigeration, so you invite everyone you know because we need to actually celebrate now and enjoy this now. We can't do it for later. And it's a way to welcome him back to the community that he rejected. I have a a South Sudanese friend named James Bach, who I'd love for you to meet someday. Um, As a boy, he had to flee to Ethiopia, or he would have been, like, killed in the war with uh, all the lost boys of South Sudan. All these boys had to leave South Sudan. He becomes a Christian in a refugee camp, returns to his village in South Sudan 13 years later, and when he describes the story, he said, my father and my mother just assumed I had died. And so for me to appear, it was literally like receiving me back from death. Our lost son is found. My father just held me for 45 minutes and couldn't speak. Tears coming down his face. 
the Dinka tribe, the largest tribe in South Sudan, a lot of their wealth is in cattle. And his father slaughtered two huge bulls. Epic. He killed the fattened calf for his son. The whole community celebrated. And the rest of the story is amazing because they were like, how, do, how are you alive? And he's like, hey, there is a God who made the earth, who actually sent his son. And that God's son saved me. And the elders said, we would like to hear about this God. And uh, he would meet with them. And they actually went and conferred. Conferred. We have decided we would like to hear about this God. Uh, 33 churches ended up being planted in that region. He's still a ministry leader in South Sudan. He actually leads water as basic as one of the things, bringing fresh water, which was one of our uh, special Christmas. That was our special Christmas Eve offering. That was one of the things we gave to. We gave to food, shelter, and water. The water was fresh water in South Sudan. That's James Bach. And he, he explained, like there's parts of the world that understand what it means to kill the fattened calf. That's what they did. They're celebrating. They kill the fattened calf. They're epic. It shows us a picture of the Father's joy in giving gospel grace. Now, there's been others in history that have really been impacted by this. Rembrandt, the Dutch master, died in 1669. Look up his Wikipedia article because other artists talk about Rembrandt, how they revered Rembrandt. I mean, some people think, He's one of the greatest visual artists in history. Some artists are unknown in their lifetime. Not Rembrandt. He's a rock star. He was like wealthy, famous. Everyone went nuts over Rembrandt. He was such a master. Oh, so far ahead. He's rock star famous, rock star successful, also rock star stupid. Like he wasted it. He went in debt. He had, there was like scandal, scandal, sexual impropriety. His life is a mess. And I can't help but think that he was drawn to this picture. In the whole Bible, at the end of uh, Rembrandt's life, you know, you think about how big the Bible is. I think that he was drawn to, to do this painting because he knew he needed this to be true. And it is. And this painting, uh, and by the way, someone gave me this print this week, not knowing I was going to preach on this passage this week. But this painting has become f famous. We see the brokenness of the younger son. He's barefoot. He's in rags. Uh, he's been dirty, so he has a bald head. We see the warmth Look where the light is on the Father's hands, the Father's face, the warmth of the Son, the warmth that He showers on His Son, the warm embrace, the welcome. This is a picture of the Father's welcome, a picture of God's gospel grace to us. I, I've, I actually use this parable in this, the Discovering Covenant class to help people discover the gospel, part because of what it meant for me. I was in the back of a membership class of a, uh, in 1992 at New Life Church in Glenside, 
And a pastor goes through this parable and he ex- explains the father's welcome, the father's joy in welcoming us, the father's readiness to welcome us, the father's arms for us, his embrace, his kiss. And the question was, do you know God's joy over you when you turn to him? Do you get that? And this is when the people are lost and they turn to Jesus. This is when you've grown up in the church your whole life. You've, you've been here. And somehow you think of this, the Father's joy and love for you. Well, I, actually that works for other people, but you're somehow on a different system. It's like, do you know the Father's welcome of you? And I sat in the back of the class and cried because it was so beautiful. Do you know that? Do you know the Father's joy and welcome of you? Is that what Jesus wants us to get in this? Have, have you, does the picture that Jesus gives us, do you know that love of the Father? Do you know the gospel's that good? The gospel really is that good. And we see a celebration, we see joy, we see homecoming. And then the parable goes on. It doesn't end. There's actually, you see uh, in English, this is labeled the parable of the prodigal son. It's because the first half of the parable is so striking. There's actually another son in it. Not everyone's digging the party. Um, Translators put those little page breaks in and title it. There's actually another son. Listen to what happens. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. Okay, it really is a celebration. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. What did the older brother say at this point? What could he have said? We've been missing that guy. I love that kid. I am so glad. We get to take him off the prayer list now. Thank goodness. Father is going to be so glad and so full of joy. We are so worried about him. We worried about where his addictions were going to lead him. He could have said that, right? He could have said, my father is going to be so full of joy. Listen to what he does. Verse 28, but he was angry, refused to go in. And his father came out and treated him. And he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus gives us a picture of another son who's lost, but he never left home. But he's just as lost. I mean, he's spitting mad. Think how disrespectful this is. Is he serving out of love for the Father? 
What, what did the younger son reveal about his heart? Hey, I want the father's stuff. Dad, could you give me the stuff? Could you sell, sell, give me what's mine, what I would get, and I'm going to leave? That's the younger son's heart. What is the father? What is the older brother, the older son, want? Seems like the father's stuff. Does he know the love of the father? You see what he called his brother? This son of yours. He doesn't say my brother. When this son of yours did this and he throws it in his father's face, he devoured your property with prostitutes. And look what you did for him. He's angered. He's outraged at grace. He's outraged at forgiveness. I can't believe you would treat this kid this way. And the younger son did all that stuff. What's the party represent? Okay, a chapter earlier, it's actually on the same page, page 874, there's a parable of a great banquet, and Jesus basically, he's explaining that the kingdom of God is this great banquet, and people make excuses not to come. This is not a party whose invite you want to reject. This is a party that represents the joy of the kingdom and actually, those things will become true at the end. This is a party. This is the party at the end of time when all history rushes into God's hands. And Jesus says, you're going to say no to that, Evite? You're going to be too busy for that? Why is Jesus telling this story? Why is this story here? The beginning of Luke 15 starts this way. Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There it is. Meals with Jesus. Okay? There it is. That Jesus was known. What, what, what bothered them? This man receives them and eats with them. It's like he likes them or something. It's like he's accepted them, and that has outraged us. It's like he thinks that they can be forgiven. It's like he thinks that they can be forgiven and change their lives. Why does he do that? So Jesus, he actually tells three parables. The two of them are really short. He says, look, there's this guy. He had 100 sheep. He loses one. You know what? He leaves the 99. He searches and searches and searches for this lost sheep, and when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders. Think of the affection in that. And he comes home, and he says to all of his neighbors, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And then he tells another parable. A woman, she has 10 coins, but she loses one. She loses a valuable coin. She searches and searches and searches, and when she finds it, she celebrates with her neighbor. I lost this, but now this is found and Jesus says, just as there is joy before the angels, just like this, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is joy. Who has the joy right there? God and his angels when someone who is lost is found. A lost sheep, a lost coin, then Jesus tells a parable about a lost son. And again, there is joy when the lost son, who was spiritually dead, but figuratively back from the dead, he's alive now. 
There is joy. He was lost, but now he's found. And then in a crazy turn in the parable, there's another lost son who's lost at home. He's lost. Who is that to? Jesus is reaching out in love to the Pharisees and teachers. Think of the love of the father in the parable. The father leaves the party, which represents the love of God and the joy of God, and he goes out on to the older brother to talk him off the ledge. He goes out to the older brother. You, you completely missed it. You need to come in to the party. And look what warm invitation he says. Everything I have is yours. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. You're going to miss this? In a surprise way, he reaches out to the Pharisees, the tax collectors, all the older son types. You're going to miss this party? And this is the last picture. Look, there's basically two different ways to miss the gospel, according to this parable. Younger son type people, they have a certain approach to rules and the church. There's older son people whose approach to rules in the church. What's the younger son approach to rules? Break them, right? And actually is a philosophy of life that young people, okay, um, tune into this. The narrative of our culture right now says the only thing you need to do to actually live a fulfilled life, to be really free, is find desires within and give full vent to them. It doesn't matter what rules you break or what that does to community or what you've heard from the outside. Uh, follow your heart. There's healthy biblical ways to follow your heart. And there's sometimes things in our heart that are bananas, right? They're like, hey, I want revenge now. Do you follow your heart in that? Uh, it feels good to gossip sometimes. Do we follow our heart in that? So the old, younger son approach to rules, I need to break the rules to find life. His approach to church is, of course, no thank you. No thank you. I'd like, I want to stay away from church, leave church. What's the older son approach to rules? Keep them. Keep them. He's a very, he would have re done recycling well with all the different kinds of recycling that confuse many of us. The older brother can explain that to you. He's a little bit frustrated that you don't know what you're talking about. Right? A rule keeper. A rule follower. Uh, he's lost. And he's in the church. There was a son near me uh, growing. Uh, there was a, a church near me growing up that gave Sunday school attendance awards that were pendants that you wore on your chest. You wore them on your you're supposed to wear them on your shirt like you're an Eagle Scout or something. And it was like multiple years, which is basically training children up in the spirit of the older brother. <laughs> I've always been here. I've always showed up. Uh, nice year one pin. How long did it take you to get that? You know? Uh, a good idea to go to church. Not a great idea 
to figure out ways to be self-righteous about it, which wasn't the intention of that whole thing, but an easy mistake. The older son approach to rules is to keep them, and actually his self-righteousness keeps him far away from God. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book on this parable. It's called Prodigal God. He is actually influenced by Jack Miller and Ed Clowney, uh, they're both Westminster Seminary guys and pastors, and I happened to show up years later in that membership class that, at that same church uh, where Jack Miller and Tim Keller, well, Tim Keller had served as an elder there. So I was like downwind of some of the influences that influenced Tim Keller in that. Uh, but we can think about it this way, okay, and especially drawing out the two ways to miss Jesus, Tim Keller was really helpful in that book. But know this, look, what does this mean? There is a gospel welcome for us to live out, okay? There's something to live out, literally around our table and in our lifestyle. In NBC's sitcom, uh, The Office, okay, so the, the American version of The Office, who's the Christian? Angela and she's like the most miserable person on the show. She's the meanest. She's self-righteous, right? She looks down on everybody. She's actually a secret hypocrite, just like the older son's heart is exposed. But she's super critical of everyone around her. What's that saying? It's someone in the culture recognizing that sometimes when they're around the church, it smells like the spirit of the older brother. It smells, it smells like the older brother. We don't want an older brother air freshener in this church, right? Because it doesn't smell like Jesus. Yeah. How, how do we avoid that? Look, we just admit, I don't care if you've been a Christian for one year, five years, 10 years, 60 years, 80 years. We're all saved by the same Jesus it's a great leveler. There is no sins that you have committed that can't be forgiven. And there's no one who's so sanctified in here that their sins don't need to be forgiven today and yesterday. And it's a great leveler. And it makes us really, we want to be and are called to be a really understanding church when we can be honest about our problems. We can actually confess that we have sins. And it's uh, the more embarrassing mess-ups that we have, the more crazy things that are hard to figure out, it's okay to be here and be falling apart. It's okay to admit that sometimes you're a mess, or maybe that's you most of the time, because the gospel is that good. We want to repent of the spirit of Angela. We want to repent of the spirit of the, the older brother in the church. Actually, we welcome younger brothers home. And look, um, in living out this welcome, it's almost like a major. This would be something to reflect on in this parable. You know, if someone decides to go to college, they can choose a major. Some of us are more major younger brother types. I'm going to go punk rock. I'm going to break the rules. 
Some of us are more major older brother types. And then everyone has a minor, which is the other one. You know, we actually flip back and forth from both, which is crazy. Oh, I'm going to break the rules. The following God is boring. And then feel self-righteous sometimes. We're invited to repent of self-righteousness and repent of uh, having the spirit of the older brother in us. We can admit that we got a lot of younger brother in us and we live out gospel welcome literally around our tables in fellowship with people. There's such a hunger for relationship and friendship. Uh, Someone sent me a New York Times article this week. I think it was in New York Times Magazine about a there's a single woman in a one apartment, uh, one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, who started organizing dinners for strangers online. Hey, you'd like to maybe meet some friends? Eight strangers can show up. There's now a four year waiting list. Eight hundred people have gone through. We were lonely before COVID. COVID didn't help most of us get more friends. We actually need to double down on going out to eat with people, actually having people in our home, uh, having coffee with people, having fellowship with people. It's a way to enact community, to live out community, to live out welcome, and people who believe all different kinds of stuff and who are all different places. Because look at God's grace to us. There's a gospel welcome to live out. There's also a gospel welcome to receive. There's something to know and receive here. Now, there's a welcome here. I, you know, I just want to ask you straight up, have you received the Father's welcome through Jesus? Have you become a Christian? You can do that. Jesus is the good brother that actually walks us home to the Father, who actually, Jesus laid down his life paid for our sins, is risen from the dead. There is a decision to make. You need to decide to follow him, to receive him. You need to decide not to click no on that invitation. You need to respond. A lot of times becoming a Christian is a long process. Okay, You need to start wrestling with your doubts. You need to actually start, you know, have some dialogue partners to talk with you about this. There also, though, comes points where you just need to, you need to decide. You need to quit playing games. You need to not put it off. And uh, we're, we're going to sing this last song. Uh, we've been praying this week, a bunch of the elders, the prayer team, that people meet Jesus today. And during this last song, if you want to pray with someone, talk with someone about receiving Christ, there's the prayer room. Come over there. That's the invitation. Don't put it off. There is an urgency to this. If here's, I love that we have prayer ministry actually every week. Some of you also who have been Christians for a long time, but you know you need breakthrough to actually know the love of the Father, to know the love of the Father in your heart, 
to know the Father's smile over you. The biggest non-older brother thing you could do is ask for prayer. The older brother's too cool for prayer. The older brother's too worried about what other people think to say, actually pray for me that I would have breakthrough in my life. And a way to repent of that, ask someone to pray for you. Uh, if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. If there's anything else going on in your life, we'd love to pray for you. And that actually it's the most normal thing in the world. I ask people to pray for me every week. When I show up here early and we pray before the service starts, pray for me, pray for my heart, pray I know the love of the Father, pray that this would be clear today. It's the most normal thing in the world. I'm going to have the worship team come out. Uh, I'll close this in prayer, and we'll stand and sing this last song. Hey, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the pictures of the gospel that you give us in this parable. Uh, we pray that we would have grace from your Holy Spirit to see our sin, to want to turn from it and turn to you. Uh, Father, we pray we'd see your arms open wide and we'd want to come to you. Uh, we thank you that you actually won to us. You come to people. You come. Uh, we thank you for the Father's heart, the Father's love uh, to send Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us in a faraway country, bringing us home. I pray for those of us here uh, who have yet to become Christians, I pray that they say yes to you, come to you, receive prayer, give themselves to you. Pray they come with their doubts, their weariness, their sins, uh, and begin to be made new. Uh, save them in ways that only you can. Lord, we need you. Come to us and receive our praise as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or in person on Sundays at 9 and 1045 a.m. Hope to see you there.